Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. Guys, we've got college football in nine days. Nine days. It will be here in a blink of an eye. So you don't want to miss out on any of the action. Go ahead and sign up for a new account on MyBookie today. It's simple, guys. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code UGA when you sign up and make your first deposit, and you will get a 50% deposit bonus on that first deposit. You're not going to find a better deal. MyBookie's hooking you guys up. So sign up today so you can bet on that Vanderbilt Hawaii game or that Notre Dame Navy game. There's a couple games, not maybe the greatest games in the history of the world, but they're college football games, and we have been waiting a long time for it. So get in on the action of my bookie while you can. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and I was hoping to get Curtis on here today. He is back. He's back in the good old U.S. of A. But as you can imagine, after taking the better part of the last two weeks off for the wedding, honeymoon, all that fun stuff... He's got a lot of work to catch up on at the old law firm. So he's taking care of that today. We're going to have him back on Monday's episode. So that will be a lot of fun. But today, I got you guys covered. And if you guys remember, this time last week, I was sitting here basking in the glory of our back-to-back national titles and giving you guys 10 reasons why we're going to make it three in a row. And I stand by every one of those reasons. I'm not backing off a single one of them. But... As excited as we all are for this 2023 season and this quest for a three-peat, which I still think, again, is a very, very reasonable expectation, it's not necessarily all sunshine and rainbows. There are some legitimate concerns heading into this season, like there are for every single team out there in the United States of America. I think it's fair to say that we have fewer concerns, but there are still a few concerns nonetheless. So today is going to be an exercise in objectivity. Of course, here on the Glory UGA podcast, we love the Georgia Bulldogs with all of our heart. It's what we live, breathe, eat, sleep, drink, bleed. It's everything. But that doesn't mean we can't also be objective about the team. And that's what I'm going to try to do here today on the show and give you guys my list of the five biggest questions for this Georgia football team heading into the 2023 season. But before we get going, I do just quickly want to remind you guys about our new YouTube channel. I could not be happier with the reception and how things are going. We're still certainly a work in progress. We're building it out. We're trying to get this thing going, but it's honestly exceeded my expectations. I appreciate every one of you that have watched the videos, that have liked, subscribed, commented. Thank you so much for that. And if you haven't checked it out yet, 
I know the season's not here quite yet. We're close, but it's not quite here yet. But you're going to want to subscribe, guys. I'm telling you, even if YouTube is not really your thing, and to be honest with you guys, YouTube has never really been my thing. I'm old enough to remember what life was like before high-speed internet and cell phones and this technological revolution with social media and all that. So I never quite got hooked on that stuff. Like I, I use YouTube, but I probably don't rely on it as much as some other people do. So I get it if it's not necessarily your thing, but I'm telling you guys, I'm going to have a lot of great stuff for you guys during the season, breaking down film, breaking down our tape, opposing teams tape, a lot of stuff that I've always wanted to do, and I've got a lot of requests from you guys over the years to do it, and now I'm actually figuring out a way to make it happen. So I really do believe it's a different type of coverage that you guys will really enjoy. So make sure you check that out. I think you guys will, will really like it. But all right, guys, let's get into these five questions, the five biggest questions for this Georgia football team heading into our quest for an unprecedented three-peat. Now, to be honest with you guys, I had to struggle to find five questions. This wasn't like I just sat down for three seconds and was like, boom, 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 and just rattled them off my brain. That's not how this went down. I really had to deliberately think about this. There were a couple, like right off the top of my head, that I was like, yeah, okay, this is obviously a big, a big question heading into the season. But to be entirely honest with you, I don't have a ton of burning questions that are freaking me out right now. I guess back-to-back -back national titles will do that for you. I guess what, five, six, seven top three recruiting classes in a row will do that for you. But since I did 10 reasons why we're going to three-peat, I wanted to at least find five big questions. So I've got five questions. I don't know if they're big questions. I don't know if there are big questions for this team heading into the season. There might be some like, huh, I don't know type questions, but I don't think there's any like, oh my God, what are we going to do there type questions. I just don't see those types of questions. So I think that's a good thing, right? That means we are really, really good. But there are some areas where I do think we need to improve, and there are some questions that I think are fair to ask about this team heading into this new season. So let's start the bottom and work our way up to the top. Let's start at number five. Now, we have become very accustomed to having not just a really good run defense, not just a dominant rush defense, but the best rush defense in the entire country. Listen to some of these numbers, guys. Let's go back to 2019, the last four seasons. Since 2019, here's where we have finished in rush defense nationally. First, second, first, first. And here's yards per carry since 2019. Third, second, first, second. I think it's safe to say that there has literally not been one other team in the country that has been as consistently dominant against the run as the Georgia Bulldogs. We have had the best rush defense for essentially four straight years. And that has been in large part due to just an overwhelming collection of NFL talent within our front six. You got Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Javon Walker went number one, N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, first round draft pick, Channing Tindall, Jalen Carter, who the Falcons are going to probably regret passing up for the next 10 to 15 years. The amount of NFL talent that we have had within our front six over the past four years has been absolutely wild. I mean, Monty Rice, Tay Crowder, those are NFL guys too. It's been insane. And we have really, really good players in our front six this year. Pop Dumas Johnson, first team All-SEC preseason. Going to be an awesome player, one of the leaders on this team. Smile Munden is, is banged up to open the season, but he'll be back sooner rather than later. And I, I've told you guys plenty of times before, as good as I think Pop is, I think Pop is fantastic. Smile Munden's ceiling is just higher than Pops. It just is. But those guys are both awesome. I think we have probably the best inside linebacking room in the entire country. If you consider the entire room, all the guys that are not just starting, but the guys behind them, the depth that we have there. I mean, we have 
probably six guys at least that would start for just about any other team in the SEC. We are absolutely loaded there. I have zero questions about inside linebacker. My questions for the rush defense are more focused on the interior defensive line. That's where my questions lie. It's not that I have questions about, do we have good players? We have good players. My question is, do we have elite players on the interior of our defensive line? Because again, we don't have a Jordan Davis. We don't have a Devontae White. There's no Jalen Carter. I don't think there's necessarily a Tyler Clark because he was really good for us. And as good as Nas Stackhouse is preseason All-SEC first team, I think Nas is really good. I think he was the most underrated player in our team last year. But he's not Jordan Davis. He's not Jalen Carter. He's not that type of dominant player. I believe this is the first time in a long time that we are going into a season without a bona fide superstar somewhere along the interior of our defensive line. Again, make sure you understand what I'm saying here. We have really good players. We recruit really, really well, really at all positions, but especially on the defensive line. Nas is great. I think that Warren Brinson is going to have a breakout year. I think he's going to be not just a breakout player on our team. He might be a breakout player in the entire SEC, maybe even the country. Zion Logue has been the model of consistency for us, maybe not a dominant, dynamic player, but a really solid player who's put a ton of football force at that position. Everything I've heard is he's had a really good fall camp. I love the young guys, especially Jordan Hall. I think Jamal Jarrett's going to be really good for us eventually, but they're young and you don't know what to expect from them. I think that Jordan Hall and maybe even Jamal Jarrett can grow into one of those bona fide stars along the defensive line, the guys that we've had in years past. But can we honestly say with a straight face right now that they are those guys entering this season? We don't know that for sure. Maybe they will be, but I do think that's asking a lot. I mean, guys like Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, they weren't those guys as true freshmen in the SEC along the defensive line in the trenches going against grown men. They weren't those guys right away. Jordan came in about halfway through his freshman year and started making an impact in our run game, but he wasn't what he ultimately ended up being in year one. So I do think that Hall and Jarrett might be the most talented options along our interior defensive line. I don't know that they're ready yet. I think, honestly, it's unlikely that they are ready yet. And by that, I mean, I think it's unlikely that they are ready to be that dominant force yet. I think they're going to be in the rotation. I think that they will play, but I don't know if they're ready to be dominant, bona fide stars in year one. I don't think that we're going to take some dramatic step back with our rush defense. No, not at all. We have far too many good players. We're far too well coached for that to happen. But I do think it's worth talking about, are we going to be as dominant against the run as we have been over the past four seasons? And I think it's a fair question to ask because this has been the key to really our entire team, not even just our defense. Our ability to stop the run with even numbers, as I've said many times over the past couple years, has allowed us to consistently play with that too high safety shell, which allows us to provide help over the top to our corners and helps us limit explosive plays, which is a huge part of what Kirby Smart and our defensive staff are trying to do. I laid it out in one of our videos, I think the second video that we did on our, new, on our new YouTube channel. Why were we able to dominate Tennessee, not just last year, but also back in 2021, while they're dropping 50 and 60 on other teams? Well, because we were able to stop the run with even numbers. We didn't have to roll safeties down the box. We were able to stay structurally sound the back end because we were so good against the run. We did not allow Tennessee to create the matchups that they were able to create against basically everyone else, those one-on-one matchups in the slot primarily with Jalen Hyatt that they just scorched teams with. They couldn't do it to us because we were able to stuff their run and were able to keep those safeties back and take those big plays out of the equation. 
If anyone asks you, huh, I wonder why Georgia's defense is so good, other than just having really good players, which is a big part of why, just tell them, it's our front six, man. It's our ability to stop the run. That's where it all comes from. And if we aren't as good against the run this year, that could potentially create some issues. Like if we go up to Neyland Stadium in November and we have trouble stopping Tennessee's run and we don't stop them as well as we have the past two years, they all of a sudden might start hitting some of those more explosive plays that they were not able to hit against us the past years. And that might get real iffy up in Knoxville. If we get into a college football playoff scenario, we're playing maybe, I don't know, Michigan, and we can't stop their run game, and they run the ball really well, that could be a problem. Same thing with Ohio State. Any of those elite teams, really. So this is something that I I, I do have some questions about heading into the season. I don't think that we're going to just completely fall off the face of the earth. Like, look, we've been number one, number two in rush defense each of the past four years. I think it's reasonable, though, to think that, huh, maybe we drop down to like the 10-15 range. And if we drop down to the 10-15 range, is that enough breathing room for a team like Tennessee or if we get in a college football playoff, a team like, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, maybe in Alabama, Texas, a USC, whoever it might be, is that enough room for them to find a way to create some of the matchups that they want to create and force us to start rolling guys in the box? I don't know. I mean, we'll find out, but I, I do think it's a question that's worth asking because that has been such a critical part of our success over the past couple of seasons as we have ascended to the very top of the college football landscape. All right, guys, let's move this along. So the next two, numbers three and four, really kind of go hand in hand, but I'm going to separate them for the purposes of this show because they are kind of separate issues, although they do kind of work in conjunction. At number four, I've got our pass rush. Are we going to be able to create more of a natural pass rush. And this has been an issue for us going back for, for a couple of years. I think Aziz Ojolari in 2020 was the last guy that we've had that was just a dynamic pass rush threat off the edge. I mean, I remember that Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati. That dude was an absolute nightmare for the Bearcats. We haven't really had that guy. Adam Anderson showed flashes of being that guy at times, but he was really more of a situational player because he was never really able to add enough weight to be like an every down Jack linebacker for us. So we really haven't had that guy since Aziz. And I do think that has hurt us at times. We're so good defensively, guys. We have so much more talent than just about every other team that we play that we can mask that and we can manufacture pressure in different ways with simulated pressure, bringing safeties, bringing corners, bringing different guys, different angles, fire zones, all those different things that we do. But when you start to face those other really elite, talented teams like Ohio State, it becomes more of an issue when you allow a quarterback to just sit back there and pick you apart. And we've seen that a couple of times. We saw it in the Peach Bowl at times last year. Later in the game, we started to dial up more pressure. We got to him a little bit more. And that was a big part of why we were able to come back and win that game. But in the first half, he was able to sit back there and he was just dealing, man. I would say also Bryce Young in the SEC Championship game back in 2021. We had a tough time consistently finding a way to get pressure on him. We did a better job of that in the second go-round when we played in the National Championship game. In the first round, not as much. Back in 2019, we had trouble getting pressure on Joe Burrow with LSU. We had trouble getting pressure on Kyle Trask with with Florida back in 2020. So when we play those teams that are really, really talented and are, are exceptionally good offensively, and we have trouble getting pressure, especially when they have those elite quarterbacks, that creates issues for us. Because what we have to do, because we know, we realize you can't just let a CJ Stroud just sit back there and pick you apart. That You can't do that. He's too good. So what do you have to do? We have to get pressure somehow. That means you got to start manufacturing. That means you got to start bringing extra guys. That means you got to start bringing linebackers. You got to start bringing star defenders. You got to start bringing safeties and doing different things. And that really messes you up from a coverage standpoint, from a, a structural integrity standpoint in your back end. You have to start taking risk. You have to start doing things that you don't really want to do. You have to start 
doing things that are really outside of your comfort zone. And then that opens you up to being hit with some explosive plays. And I've got some numbers here for you guys. So last season, according to Pro Football Focus's grades, and I always say with Pro Football Focus, take it for what it is, take it with a grain of salt. It's just one data point. But we were 55th nationally in pass grade, according to Pro Football Focus. That can create some issues against the better teams. It really can. And here's the gist of the issue. So we weren't really good in any situation, in any scenario rushing the passer. We were okay-ish, but not great. But we were 45th nationally on passing downs with our with our sack rate. We were 76th nationally in sack rate on standard downs. So what does that tell me? Well, that tells me when it's obvious passing downs and we're able to get our dime package on the field and we bring in some designated pass rushers whose job is explicitly just to rush the passer, bringing guys like Jalen Walker, bringing guys like Michael Williams, Adam Anderson in years past, those kind of guys, those pass rush specialists, we do a pretty good job of getting after the pass, or at least a better job, not a great job, not even really a good job, but a better job of getting after the passer. We do some more exotic things with, with our simulated pressure and our pressure packages, but when it's standard down, so first and second down, when it's not an obvious passing situation, we do not rush the passer well. 76 national, that's about middle of the pack in the country. Georgia should not be middle of the pack in anything defensively. With all the talent that we have, I don't care. We should not be 76th nationally in sack rate on standard downs. It just should not happen. We are far too talented. Now, a big part of that, I will admit on standard downs, is is just a philosophical thing defensively, where traditionally Kirby Smart's like, all right, first, second down, we want to stop the run, right? You want to stop the run, put them in third long. So our, our pass rushers still have run fit responsibilities and that takes precedent for them in those standard down situations. They're not just, you know, rushing the passer with reckless abandon. So I understand that one thing I've, I've consistently said is I think that we need to do a better job of converting rush defense to pass rush. I don't think that we do that well enough. I am not advocating just all out rushing the passer on every down wildly with no discipline. That's not what I'm saying. We can't do that. We still have to be sound against the run, but we've got to do a better job of converting from playing the run to rushing the passer. I just don't think that we do a good enough job there. Again, this is not something that hurts us against just about every single team that we play, especially in the regular season, because we're just that much more talented, that much better than they are. But when you play the elite teams, I keep going back to it, you've got to find a way to pressure the, the passer with a natural pass rush. We've just got to be better at it. We've got to be better. We have to stop having to dial up pressure and manufacture it in different ways and take some of the guys that we want to be back there in coverage, take them out of coverage. We've got to stop having to do that. We need guys in the jack linebacker position to step up. We need Marvin Jones Jr. to step up and be that type of guy for us at the jack linebacker position. Or maybe one of the freshmen, maybe Damon Wilson, maybe Gabriel Harris, maybe Samuel Mpimba. Michael Williams has got to take another step this year. He led the team in sacks last year but only have four and a half, right? Now he's a freshman. He did some really good things for us. He beat Paris Johnson for a sack last year. That guy was a first round draft pick, but he has got to take a step and be a, a really dominant pass rusher for us. Like he's got to be that guy for us because if not, it just like, think about the margin guys. Think about the margins in that Ohio State game. Think about how close we were to losing that football game. You can't count on games that are that close when the margins are that small, always going your way. And one of the primary reasons, again, I go back to it, that that game was so close, the margins were so small, is that we allowed C.J. Stroud to just sit back there and deal for the vast majority, at least the first half of that game. We just couldn't get after him with a natural pass rush. And give our coaches credit here. They've done a fantastic job of scheming around that. But at some point, you're going to play somebody that's good enough 
that you're not going to be able to scheme around it, and they're going to be able to exploit it. So that is something to watch. And we've been watching. That's a question I've had for a couple of years now. This is nothing new, but I still think it's a question. I think we have the talent. I think we have more options that could potentially be those type of natural pass rushers for us. I think we have more options than we've had in years past, but they're all really young. And uh, it, so it remains to be seen. You just don't know what you're going to get from these young guys. I hope that one or two of them, that's what we need, just one or two of these guys to explode on the scene and be a, a really dynamic pass rusher for us. But we just don't know. I need to see it before I completely buy into that. Okay, moving on to number three. So again, this kind of goes hand in hand with pass rush. I've talked about this before, but our pass defense, guys, our pass defense, I don't want to call it an Achilles heel because it hasn't really cost us yet necessarily over the past two seasons, but it has certainly come close to costing us in a couple of games. It isn't as though we have been bad against the past. That's not the case. Our past defense just isn't aligned with our other defensive metrics. I mean, just take last year, for example. So we were fifth nationally in scoring defense, fourth nationally in points per play, 15th in yards per play, first in rush defense, then you go to pass defense, 53rd nationally, you know, 220 yards a game, 24th nationally in yards per pass attempt allowed, 29th nationally in completion percentage, 61st nationally in explosive pass rate, which is not very Georgia-like. Again, not awful pass D numbers. Most teams around the country would be very happy with those pass D numbers. But that's just not the Georgia standard. It doesn't align with every other metric that we basically post as a defense. And if that does not change, if that does not improve, we are playing with fire. It is going to come back to bite us at some point. It did. It has at different points. I mean, go back to the 2021 SEC Championship game. Bryce Young throws for 421. I mean, even in the National Championship game in 21, they still threw for 369. We shut down the Tennessee run game in 2021, but they still threw for over 330 on us in the air. C.J. Stroud carved us up for 350. LSU with a gimpy Jaden Daniels and a backup quarterback in the second half threw for over 500. You get the idea. Against the better teams on our schedule, the more explosive, more capable offenses that we play, we have a really hard time keeping their pass games in check. And our defense has been good enough against the run. And on the other side, our offense has been good enough. We've been scoring enough points offensively to compensate for some of those pass D issues. But it isn't like we're just completely shutting down these great passing attacks. Look, I know... Basically, no one is shutting down these great passing attacks. The way that the rules have been structured in the past 10 years or so, the way offenses have exploded, it's difficult to keep elite passing offenses with elite quarterbacks and elite receivers. It's difficult to completely shut them down. I don't even know if that's really possible, but you can't let LSU with a backup quarterback in the second half throw for 500 on you. And you can say the game was out of reach all you want. Guys, we still had our starters in that game. Keely Ringo was still getting embarrassed late in that game. But we all high-five each other and forget about those things when our offense puts up 50 on the board. If our offense doesn't score 50 in that game, it's a little bit of a different story, right? And I, I still think our offense is going to be very good this year. But Stetson Bennett, as we're going to get to a little bit later on, isn't running the show anymore. Darnell Washington, who is a huge part of our ability to really create a lot of matchup issues for opposing defenses, he's not on the team anymore. He's playing for the Steelers. We still got Brock. We still got Ladd. Dominic Lovett coming over from Missouri. I'm really excited about all these guys, but we don't have Stetson Bennett. We'll see what we do have. I think that we have a really good player in Carson Beck, as we'll get to, but we just don't quite know. So are we going to be able to score 50 points? Are we going to be able to outscore a team like Ohio State in a, in a, in a college football playoff semifinal game? I hope so, but... There's no guarantee. So you're just playing with fire, man. That's my point here. We're just playing with fire if we don't start to address some of these past defense issues against the better teams on our schedule. 90% of the teams that we play 
can't exploit it. They can't hurt us. They're just not good enough from a talent standpoint. They just can't match up with us. But there is a team here and there that we're going to play that has the ability to do that. And if we can't stop the pass a little bit better than we did last year, it absolutely could be something that keeps us from pulling off the three-peat. And we've got two more of these big questions to get through today. But before we move on, I do want to remind you guys once again about our friends at MyBookie. Guys, I told you earlier, nine days. Nine days and college football is back. And that means winning season at MyBookie is also just around the corner. College football, NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever it is that you want to bet on, MyBookie's got you covered. They also have a brand new cash-out system that they are rolling out this year that's going to give you options to bet and win all season long. If you're like me and you like to throw down a parlay or two every weekend, but you get tired of sweating out that last leg late at night, you don't have to worry about that anymore because with MyBookie's early cash-out system, you can use that as a tool to stay in control of the action and cash out when you are ready. To get started, it couldn't be more simple, guys. Go to MyBookie.ag right now and register for a free account, totally free. And when you make that first deposit, just use our exclusive promo code UGA to grab a 50% welcome bonus on the house. Again, that's promo code UGA to claim that 50% deposit bonus on that first deposit for all new users and you also get a free chip to use in the my book of casino can't beat that deal guys so bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie all right we are back and we've got two more questions to run through today on my list of the five biggest questions facing the 2023 georgia football team coming in at number two and i really strongly considered putting this in the top spot but coming in at number two is our place kicker situation. I'm kind of somewhat semi-freaking out about this one. We've been spoiled, guys. We know Hot Rod was the man. Rod Blankenship was unbelievable for us. Jack Plod Leslie, maybe not quite Hot Rod, but a really solid, good kicker for us. I mean, hey, he won that Peach Bowl for us against Cincinnati back in 2020. What a heck of a kick that was. So this hasn't been something that we've had to worry about for six or seven years at this point. But I have to admit, guys, I am... Definitely worried about this heading into the season. We are a team full of incredibly gifted, talented, former blue chip recruits all up and down our roster. And we have two scholarship kickers. That's the thing. We have two guys that are on scholarship at the kicker position in Jared Zirkle and the new freshman Peyton Woodring. There aren't too many teams in the country out there that have two place kickers on scholarship. We do. So this is not an instance of our coaching staff neglecting that position. Not at all. They have been very aggressive in going out and dedicating very precious scholarships to place kickers. But the reality of the situation is we are going into a 2023 season without a kicker who has done anything remotely resembling making a kick in a meaningful college football game. And like most of the other questions that we've gone over today, we're so much better, so much more talented than basically everyone on our schedule that this won't be an issue for most games. At the most, it'll be a mild annoyance against teams like Vanderbilt and Missouri and South Carolina, teams like that, because they just can't match up with us. That's the reality of the situation. But there are a few teams. Tennessee, for one, on the road. Potentially Ole Miss at home. Maybe even if things get weird, Auburn on the road. Certainly if we get into an SEC championship game, if we get into the college playoff, Those are meaningful games. Those are high-pressure, high-stakes situations. And we simply, scholarship or not, do not know how these kickers, whoever it is that wins the job, whether it's Zirko or Woodring, we have no idea how they will respond in those situations. And no one cares about your kicker until you need them. 
We saw firsthand just a couple months ago in December in the Peach Bowl what happens when a team doesn't have a kicker that can make a kick in a meaningful situation. We saw what happened. We benefited from that, the midnight miracle. So I think that has to be concerning for Georgia fans going into the season. Now, you might not want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. None of us want to think about it. But if we're trying to think, okay, what are the things that could possibly keep us from pulling out the three-peat? You better believe kicker is one of them. And no one talks about this. And we are as guilty of that as anyone else. I'm not saying that we're better than anyone else. We don't talk near enough special teams. But special teams, as you all know, can win and lose you football games, especially when the margins get close. So they get really tight when you're playing other really talented teams like Ohio State last year in the college playoff. When the margins are that tight, your special teams takes on an outsized role. It's not going to be the difference in us playing Vanderbilt or difference in us playing Missouri or probably even a team like Kentucky or Georgia Tech. It's not going to make any difference in those games because we're just better. But that's not always going to be the case. And I'll tell you guys, Saturday at that scrimmage, it was not pretty. Now, that's just one setting. Everything I've been told is that that was kind of the exception throughout fall camp to this point. The kickers have done a really nice job. The coaching staff has been very impressed, very pleased with them. But in my opinion, this is just me. I'm just one guy. When it's a scrimmage setting, our coach, like, we, we treat that almost like a game. I know it's not a game, you know, on fans in the stands, but with the way that we approach that, our coaches are trying to simulate an actual game as much as they possibly can with a scrimmage. They're trying to put our guys in situations that will mimic the situations that they're going to face at different points during the season. They're trying to put the stress on these guys to see how they will respond. So while it's nice and it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside when you hear people tell you, oh, you know, that this, this scrimmage was the exception. It's the anomaly. They've been really good during fall camp. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, okay, that, that's cool. I, I mean, I, yeah, I like to hear that. But also, this is the closest thing to what they're going to have to do when the season kicks off. It is one thing for a kicker to do it in practice. And I know that Kirby works really hard to put them in stressful situations, even in practice, to try as much as he can to mimic and imitate what they're going to have to do in games. But practice is one thing. Doing it in a game or something that's simulating a game is a very different thing. Those are two different things. And until I see a couple of these kicks go through the uprights, especially in high pressure situations, now I hope that we aren't in high pressure situations, but history says we're going to be in at least a couple of them at some point during the season. And until I see these guys come through in that moment, I'm still going to be holding my breath and kind of watching through my fingers when those kicks go in the air. It's scary, man. I mean, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. It is something that absolutely scares me going into the season. And I really could make a very strong argument for that being the number one question on this team heading into this 2023 season. But I have a different question at number one. And that question is, the quarterback position. What are we going to get out of our quarterback this year? I have this at number one because the quarterback position is just simply the most important position on the field. It has an outsized impact on the outcome of games more so than any other single position in isolation. And while I absolutely do believe that we have some talented options at that position, the reality is none of these guys have been through the fire. Carson Beck has played some in garbage time and impressed in garbage time, especially last year. But he has not taken one single meaningful snap in his college career, in three years in college, not one single meaningful snap. And like the kickers, it's one thing to do it and impress when there's really no pressure on you in garbage time situations where, I mean, your team's gonna win no matter what happens. You're just going out there to try to impress the coaches and set yourself up for next year. It's one thing to do it in that setting. And I like that he's done it there, but it's a totally different animal to do it 
when you are the guy, when all eyes are on you, when the success of our offense is largely on your shoulders. That's a very, very different situation to be in. And really, here's the thing for me, guys. I know some of you will never, ever, ever admit to this. And that's fine. Everyone's, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But Stetson Bennett was so freaking good for us. I know that some Georgia fans out there are still physically incapable of forming those words, but if you're being honest with yourselves, that's reality. We know this. Guys, Stetson Bennett is going to be a starter in the NFL sooner rather than later. If the Rams could have unloaded Stafford's contract this season and traded him, Stetson probably would start this year. Now with Stafford's contract, they have him for another two years, so it'll probably be two years before Stetson starts, but make no mistake about it, he is the quarterback in waiting for the Rams. He's going to be that guy. This guy was a Heisman Trophy finalist, for God's sake. I know most of you are with me on this. I know that. I know that. I'm not talking to most of you, but there are just some people out there that still cannot quite come to terms with the fact that Stetson Bennett was an absolute baller for us, at least in 2022. And I just don't know how reasonable it is to have expectations that Carson Beck is going to be better than what Stetson Bennett was for us last year. Here's the good thing. I will say that our offense, our team in general, is far less quarterback dependent than most of the other major contenders out there. There are a couple other big-time contenders out there that are having to work in new quarterbacks, like Ohio State's having to work in a new guy at quarterback. Ohio State's really talented, but we have more talent up and down our roster. We are better defensively. They have better receiver talent, sure, but I think if you take our offense in totality with our offensive line, our tight ends, our receivers— I think that we have just as much, if not more, offensive talent. We certainly have more defensive talent than Ohio State, but they just rely more on the quarterback position. They rely more on that position being elite than we do. I mean, yes, Stetson was awesome. Like, he was elite for us in 2022. He wasn't that guy in 21. He was better than he was in 2020, and I think he was far better than most people wanted to give him credit for in 2021, but he wasn't the same version of Stetson that we saw last year. That guy took his game to a whole new level last year. And we were still able to win national championship with Stetson being an above average quarterback for us. He wasn't elite. He was above average for us in 2021, but we didn't have to have him be elite because we were just so good everywhere else. We're just not as quarterback dependent as some of these other teams out there are. Like Clemson, for example. Why has Clemson not made the college football playoff the past two seasons after making it, what, like six years in a row, something crazy like that? Because DJ Uyunglele wasn't up to the task. He wasn't good enough. They were more quarterback dependent. They won national titles because they had transcendent talent at quarterback. They had Trevor Lawrence. You had Deshaun Watson. Sure, yeah, they had some good defenses and they had some solid receivers, but their offensive line has been an absolute joke basically the past five, six, seven years since they've been on this run. It's never been good. They've just been so good at quarterback that they've been able to mask some of those issues at other spots on their roster. USC is another example. They're incredibly quarterback dependent. Basically, every Lincoln-Riley offense, every Lincoln-Riley team has been incredibly quarterback-dependent because they don't have the talent at the other spots on the roster. That's not the case for us. We don't depend on our quarterback being elite to that level. So Carson doesn't have to be what Stetson was last year. He doesn't have to be that guy. If he can just be what Stetson was in 2021, like an above-average player, then we're going to be fine. We're going to be totally fine. And I do think there is a world where Carson could give us something close to what Stetson gave us. And, and I'm not going to say it's impossible that Carson could be even better than Stetson Bennett. I think that's highly, highly unlikely, but it's not impossible. I'll stay open to the possibility. And I'll give Carson this. Here's my thing with Carson Beck. This is how I look at this guy. 
I think Carson has an extremely high floor. He is not going to bottom out. He's been around too long. He's shown me too much. He has a very high floor. He's at the very least going to be a solid option for us at quarterback. We're not bottoming out with Carson Beck, but I do think his ceiling is what remains to be seen. Again, I'm open to the idea that his ceiling could be extraordinarily high. I just have to see it. We just don't know. And that's why it's a big question for me because we just don't know. We think we know, but thinking you know is not the same thing as knowing, having actual, tangible, verifiable evidence to operate off of. We've got some pieces here and there that we're kind of putting together saying, you know what, this looks like Carson Beck has the tools to be the guy. And I do believe he does. But we don't know, man. We don't know. And if you don't really fully know at quarterback the most important position going into the season, you can't be entirely unconcerned about that. I do love the weapons around him. Having Brock Bowers is an incredible security blanket for you. Having guys like Lad McConkey, Dominic Lovett, even a guy like Marcus Rosemey Jackson, who's been around for a long time. I think Oscar Delp is going to be a really good option in the passing game for us this year. Having guys like that, having the offensive line that we have, I think one of the two, if not the best offensive lines in the country. Having a guy like Cedric Van Pran going to his third year as a starter at center, having him in front of you there, all those things are huge. And that absolutely helps the quarterback, a new quarterback, make the transition to being the full-time star, to being the guy this year. All that helps, and that certainly gives me more confidence than I would otherwise have. But you just don't know until you know. And again, on some level, that has to be a concern heading into this season. Hopefully Carson completely assuages those concerns like right off the bat and we don't have to think about it very long. But going this season, I can't help but have at least some of those thoughts in my mind. But all right, guys, that does it for this exercise in objectivity. I hate sending you into a weekend like this. It's certainly not a fun or ideal note to end the week on. It's obviously far more enjoyable to list the 10 reasons why we're going to 3 P like we did this time last week, but I do think it's really important to look at both sides of this. If we really want to get a good feel for this team and to know what to expect going into this new season as we go for this third consecutive national title, I think we have to look at all sides. We wouldn't be doing our jobs. We'd be neglecting our duties as the Glory UJ podcast if we didn't show you both sides of this, present you both sides and let you make up your mind on how you feel about this team heading into this new season. But that is it for the show today, guys. Obviously, we will be back next week. Curtis is going to be back with me on Monday's episode when we will be recapping all the buzz coming out of the second full week of Georgia's fall camp. And of course, we have our second scrimmage on Saturday as well. So there'll be a ton of information coming out of that one. On Wednesday, I'll be running our final Scouting the Enemy episode of the offseason. We're going to be taking a deep dive into the Tennessee Volunteers. I know a lot of you have been waiting on this one. And then we're going to wrap the week up with some bold predictions for the 2023 season. So a lot of great stuff for you guys. Man, two weeks. Two weeks. Actually, after next week, we're in game week. We're almost in game week, guys. I cannot wait. We are so close, guys. We are so, so close. And we've got you covered in this final stretch run to the 2023 season so make sure you keep on coming back guys we got a ton more great stuff for you guys leading up to the season but thank you for being here guys we always appreciate each and every one of you if you get a chance please check out our new glory uga youtube channel we have a bunch of cool videos on there for you guys it's a little bit different than the content you're getting on here so check that out have an amazing weekend i'm tyler and as always go dogs <laughs>